I've been here practicing uh, this morning on this strange shaped bridge. It's it's very beautiful. I've been up here meditating for a, a few hours, and uh, when I came here and <laughs> I started following the trail through this forest here in New Mexico, and uh, then I just found this sort of knife edge ridge, which I don't know if you can see it on the camera, but it's just so steep either side. I'm not even trying sure to get down. To be honest, it was a bit of a nuisance getting up here, but it's, it's been a, a beautiful place to practice. Uh, amazing views on either side of me into two valleys and, and surrounded by the forest. I'm often struck by the, the beauty um, across the world, you know, and like obviously Asia has a huge amount of, of beauty, the jungles and, and the mountains of China and India has its beautiful places and the pool and just, just the, the sort of wide open kind of spaces and the different sort of uh environments you find yourself in when you're traveling that, that really kind of lead towards a, a connection to something so so spiritual so beautiful but it's easy to forget the west you know and it's easy to forget the countries like america or parts of europe has such beautiful scenery as well uh, very amazing so i've been sat here enjoying myself and as much as you're allowed to during meditation and, and practicing here um and then afterwards just sort of sat in contemplation really which isn't meditation right contemplation I, I allowed myself to get lost in my thoughts and, and think about things and really started to think about like what has happened during this sort of covid period and, and during this covid period I took myself away I took sort of advantage of it opportunity to go away and practice in isolation so I walked away from my teaching duties I walked away from my life I walked around away from all the people I knew just temporarily and came out to be on my own so during this period of COVID I've uh, been very quietly spending my time in in Portugal at first where I was just teaching a couple of students that were there but ultimately just spending lots of time on my own in in Portugal I was really enjoying the cliffs and the sea to practice and then I went out to Asia and I moved around Bali and Indonesia um, quite a lot. And then I had periods where I stood still as well and contacted different lineages that I wanted to speak to and kind of looked at what they were doing. But lots of time on my own, you know, lots of isolation out in Bali. And then here in America, which I've been uh, driving around from state to state, just looking for places to practice and, and just kind of adopting this idea of staying on the move and, and working on my arts, you know. So really, I guess it's been like 18 months, 18 months of intense practice on, on my own work and a kind of 18 month long meditation retreat um, with no particular attachment to a space. As soon as I started to feel attached to a place, uh, I, I moved because I feel that this should be a, a time of being disconnected from, from roots. Like I want to float, you know, like some people feel very disconnected when they have no roots, when they have no connection to anywhere. But for me, during this period of practice this is what I've needed and one of the the greatest things for me for this period which you know I know it's been a, a dreadful period with regards to the world economy and people dying and um, people's health and, and lots of fears over everything from what happens if I catch COVID through to what are the government doing with regards to my life and what am I going to do about my livelihood so a, a terrible and difficult period for many many people but at the same time there has been for for cultivators i think there has been a chance for people to get away and and kind of uh, engage in what they do really focus on their arts and some of my students have sort of contacted me and been like wanting more guidance more more tuition and and some of them have been studying online with the academy so they have access to that but but the main thing for me you know i just thought like 
engage and just be simple you know like just choose one or two practices you want to get really good at and just focus on those things and and just work on it because the world will return to some kind of previous condition at some state um, and classes will reopen and people will get back together and, and so on and so on. I think all this doom and gloom that this is it, we're going to walk into a 1984 dystopian universe is a little, <laughs> a little pessimistic. I don't believe that's going to be the case, but I think that at some point people will gather and then, then you know, classes will return and people will learn. But right now for me, it's been a time of really focusing and honing in on my art. I've done countless hours meditation and many hours practice of, of all of my arts, but on top of that, I got away from teaching, which <laughs> has been a major, major thing for me. So teaching has been something I've been doing for about uh, 15 years, I guess, through Lotus Cigar, maybe a bit more. I don't know, time is weird. Maybe it's more than that. I think it is. I think it's more like seven, to, I don't know, no idea. But I got away from teaching because I needed that. I needed that break, you know. And uh, after all of the teaching I've done, I felt I got to a stage where I'd had enough. <laughs> I'd had enough. And, and I don't think that was healthy. I always said that if I wasn't enjoying teaching or if it became a burden, that I would stop. Because I never taught for money or, or fame or notoriety or power or any of these kind of concepts that are, are unhealthy. I taught because it felt like a natural thing to do. and even though people may not believe this in this overly cynical world, I really enjoy sharing. Uh, I do, like I really enjoy sharing. I, I like to communicate ideas, especially if it can, can help people with something. And this is, uh, this is something that I've seen in this kind of world of cynicism that we have, is people always assume that you're only doing things for personal gain. Um, and that's sad, because does that mean they're only doing things for personal gain? Do people only do things for personal gain? I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm practicing during this period for personal gain on some level but at the same time the sharing the teaching is is just something that's enjoyable like these people who think everything is for personal gain do they not think that like if they never experience the joy of giving somebody something like do you only enjoy receiving if you're projecting the idea of everything is done for selfish ends to accumulate more power more money or something less do you not have you never experienced how good it feels to share something or how good it is to see somebody helped with a concept or an idea? If, if not, that, that's pretty sad. I, I feel bad for you, you know? And I think that like what was happening with my, te my teaching personally was because I'd done so much and <laughs> so often and so intense because I can't do anything half-hearted. So everything, like my teachings became intense, you know, that somewhere along the line that joy kind of faded away a little bit maybe on the last couple of years of teaching and there was just like almost like a felt like I was locked into like a duty or a job or a, a task that I had to do and it yeah so it was only at the end of my teaching I experienced that but I think that that was really nice to escape that to escape that role and to get away and to not have the burden of such things upon me and and then slowly the the, the joy of, of of teaching came back again you know I think part of the thing with teaching for me as well is, like originally, I don't know if people know this, I taught because I was asked by one of my teachers to teach um, a couple of people. So I taught just two people, my first class, they were friends of mine actually, um, really nice people, a chiropractor and his, um, his partner. And I taught them and gradually the class just expanded word of mouth and things like that. I didn't really make much effort with advertising because I never 
plan oh, I didn't plan on teaching at that time and gradually the class expanded and one day I looked around there's like 40 people in the room and I was thinking oh Christ like here we go here's a class and then gradually those people that came I started to attract a certain type of person without ever really meaning to which was quite obsessive people so I never really got casual students you know I never got those people who just want to come in and do some exercise I got these people that just I guess shared my burning desire to really understand the nature of these arts so at first this was brilliant this was great because I'm like whoa all these people who really want to train really hard so I put on more classes for them so they had more opportunities to learn and then we used to go away and camp together in some fields so we could because we didn't have any money and there was no money in the school and whatever so we would just sit in these fields and kind of work on these arts as go as deep as we could but the downside of having those kind of students that are very um, focused and very heavy and they really want to do well this is there's quite a lot of pressure <laughs> on the teacher as well because they need more guidance, they want more instruction, they need more opportunities to study. So the courses started to get longer, more intense. I ended up doing four month, three month and four month long retreats at one stage, like full-time training, morning to nighttime, three or four months, one day off a week, just out in the middle of the wilderness, which was brilliant. Um, but I'll be honest, I would have much preferred to be a student on those kind of retreats than a teacher on those, <laughs> on those retreats. Now I'm not moaning. I had, it sounds like a moaning, but I'm not. I'm reflecting because I had a lot of fun teaching those. Um, and I learned a lot as a teacher, I really did. But also there was a lot of burden, like always being the person that people are looking to for guidance or the one that is teaching. And then of course lines start to blur in students' minds. So just because you understand Tai Chi quite well, they think you also understand everything about their personal lives quite well, which you don't or anything else, but, but you know, you feel, I do, I feel the weight and the pressure of these kind of questions. And as much as I've tried to move away from dealing with that side of it, you know, um, you still get sucked in and, and they expect it. And, and I had a kind of rule not to get involved in people's personal lives or guide them on those things, but still people keep asking the, then and wanting to put that pressure on you. And that's difficult. And there's someone who really feels the weight of responsibility in a way that I don't like. I, I'm quite happy to shirk responsibility, but after many years, I guess that weighed upon me, literally into my shoulders, so they started to tighten and body became uncomfortable, you know? And it was only when I stepped away from teaching during this period of isolation, ultimately, I mean, I'm, it's not around, don't think there's anyone around for quite a way. And as soon as I moved into this time of isolation, I realized just how much pressure I'd allowed to load onto me. And that's not people I was teaching, that's my fault. I accepted it. I felt the weight of it. I felt the weight of every stress and worry and fear that the people I was teaching felt. And I shouldn't have done that because ultimately you can only provide guidance and people are responsible for their own lives and their own feelings. And all you can ever do is try to help people on their path um, as best you can. But you can't, you can't be responsible for everything that they do unless you tell them to do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's been a really good lesson for me out here like refinding re-establishing that connection to center and, and stuff i mean i don't know if people know this I, I i got no skeletons in my closet like i really don't i'll tell people <laughs> whatever they want to ask and i and sometimes people are surprised by that especially on my lectures on courses maybe not to a camera maybe not to youtube but on courses i'll talk about anything my problems with drugs at certain times in my lives unethical things i've done in relationships when i was younger and and emotional problems i've had and uh, you know anything I don't care like whatever like my life is just an expression of, of my time upon this plane of my time upon this earth so 
I don't have any skeletons. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of anything. There's things I'd never do. Maybe I'm, actually, maybe that's not true. Maybe there are things I'm ashamed of or I have regrets of, but they're still not secret. Like, I don't mind because one thing I'm not worried about is judgment, um, especially, not really. And uh, so I, I'll, I'll talk about anything, but you know, I don't know if I've told this story on YouTube before, but if I do, I've apologized if you've been a listener to my podcast for a while. But when I started teaching, I, I really fucked it all up. <laughs> I did such a bad job. I was too young to teach and I shouldn't have done. I had some skill, not as much skill as I should have had, probably, but uh, I was all right. You know, I've got a lot better these days, thankfully, but it, it was a start. And I was teaching martial arts and Neigong and doing lots of weird things and engaging the esoteric. And there was a period at the start when I first started teaching, especially when the classes first exploded and and people were looking at me where it, it really appealed to my ego, you know? It got to my ego. And I liked the power. Um, I really liked the kind of respect I was getting, especially as someone maybe who'd never had much respect when I was younger. I was never the popular child or anything like that. So I was, you know, it was a new thing to me to be the center of attention. Everyone wanting me to, to look at them and help them and, and socialize with me and what have you. And it really got to my head, you know? And there was a point where I looked around and realized that I'd become a kind of, accidental cult figure <laughs> whether I wanted to or not and it just dawned on me one day um, after teaching that this was not healthy so what I did was I, I shut my class down that was my action I was like stop I went to the students I said I'm really sorry you gotta go and train somewhere else because we're done class over I can't do this anymore um, this is not healthy for me it's not healthy for you it's disempowering for me for you it's massively problematic for me i'm going to turn into an arsehole i'm going to turn into one of those kind of cult leader slash overblown caricatures of teachers i don't want to be so i shut the class down and i went i went to asia which has always been my bolt hole for when there's problems or when there's things that i needed to contemplate or practices i need to do and i went out there and i i spent like nine months pretty much on the road a lot of it was spent in um, buddhist monasteries uh some very westernized buddhist monasteries where anybody can go and and do some uh, vipassana type work or something like this and then some uh buddhist monasteries that were a little bit more through contacts i had that i could just kind of get away from people and sometimes in the buddhist monasteries where uh, that were more commercialized i was doing their practices which was really nice and then in the ones that were a bit isolated often i either worked with a teacher very closely who I knew and I told them about the problem I had and they helped me very specifically with this part of my ego. Um, and then other times I was just left to my own devices. But during that sort of nine month contemplation period, I worked on severing, I looked for all of the attachments I had to these things that were creating the cult-like behavior and just tried to sever them, you know, just like understand them, see through to the truth and then what were they rooted in and try to get rid of them. And it was never my plan to specifically come back after nine months, but that's what happened. I, I, my plan was to stay until I felt that I was in a healthier mindset to teach. And that's what I did. I came back after nine months and I taught again. I started slowly. I really looked at my behavior and my relationship to teaching and my relationship to the student. And then the school just kind of rebuilt itself. I never really advertised, it just grew, you know? Um, and I've always kind of kept that in check. So. The reason I'm talking about it is because there's, there's an interesting dynamic because I felt that although I've not been perfect as a teacher, definitely not, I've been grumpy, cantankerous, <laughs> made mistakes, things like, like anybody does, 
I feel that after that period, when I restarted again, that my connection to the school was much healthier. But there was a, there was a difficulty there because whereas pr any teacher feels pressures, especially you have a large class or a large group, they're always looking to you. They feel pressures. Of course you do. If you're taking your job seriously, you're going to feel some pressure by it, some responsibility. Because remember, you'll never be a perfect teacher. You'll probably never even be a, appropriate as a teacher. You know, like you should, what I mean by that is you shouldn't probably be teaching um, because you're too flawed. That's, let's be honest, for most people, well, that's how I look at it. So all we can ever do is try to live up to being the teacher that we are trying to be. Not fake it till you make it, I don't mean that, but we do our best to live up to what we see as an ideal, but we're then honest with the people that we're teaching that sometimes we fail in those ideals or often we fail in those ideals. And I think that's a healthier way to, to teach, to approach it, so that people don't start to see you as something that you're not, some kind of Buddha figure or something like this, unless you achieve Buddhahood, in which case go ahead, but I don't think many of us have. So, I've been sat here in the sun meditating, so there's this one fly that finds my <laughs> sweaty midday sun body very fascinating so excuse me if I batted around and I'm glad you can't smell through that camera because it's been a very sweaty midday as afternoon practice up here um, right so why am I talking about that yes because you feel that pressure so I think what happens is the brain the mind the self the ego tries to counter that pressure you feel and that's my experience of myself and other teachers I've seen so there's two ways it goes one way is you do it by bolstering your ego. So you get what you need to deal with your insecurities out of the teaching and that becomes the payoff from you and the students. It's, not, it's never the money. The money that students pay doesn't deal with the pressure. I mean, to me, the money keeps the school open. This is why often actually my courses or retreats can be a little bit cheaper than some other teachers. Not all teachers, I think I'm probably in the mid-range. But the main reason for that is because I don't choose really posh centers because I never want to shut someone out because of their money. Um, and secondly, I don't need that much money to live. I don't need to be a multimillionaire or a millionaire either or anything like that. I, I actually lead quite a, a simple life on many, many levels. So the money keeps the school running. The money is the practicalities. The money keeps things going because unless you're a rich, you will need that. I mean, if I was ever a multimillionaire or whatever, um, I wouldn't charge for teaching. There would be no need. It would they were just not needed but as it is I'm not rich I came from a very poor background so the money is required to keep things open so it's never about that but so you still feel the pressure so the money is not the thing that you're getting out of the training for the majority of teachers that's not what you get out what you often get out is one of two things and one thing is the holes in your own self your insecurities your problems healed so what you'll start to do is maybe as a person you had insecurities about, well, like me, not being popular, um, I was never particularly attractive or charismatic or, or charming on any level. You know, my dream of being a male model was never going to be actualized in this life. So essentially, there was all these kind of insecurities that built up from when you were younger. So when I was teaching, what I was getting back from the students in that early stage when I was fucking up my teaching was these were being sort of sticky plastered over and kind of band-aided if you're American I suppose you use that word don't you over the kind of holes in, in my soul in my very being so when people were looking to me for guidance all of those things I never experienced were right there so all of that I was bolstering up my insecurities with these lies to the sense of self now I think a lot of teachers might do well to look at that because I think there's a fair bit of that going on and none of us are perfect but I think some people are in denial of this is what they're getting out of the teaching. And if that's what you're getting out of the teaching, 
then that's not good because now the teaching is not about the people you're trying to help. It's about you. And if it's about you, then you are now drawing from them. You are, it's not about them anymore, you know. You're there doing your peace, center of attention, getting the students to love you. And then ultimately what will happen is if this teaching is about you, then the students will start to become a bit of an annoyance, you know. And that's what you start to see. You see that same pattern. I like my students because they worship me and then I feel good. But then after a while I feel good, but I feel good. I'm so much better than you because my ego has been boosted. Then now I resent you. And you see this kind of bitterness coming out towards the students. And people get quite mean and quite hurtful and quite insulting towards the students. And the students will go, you know, oh, he's trying to teach us a lesson or something like this, a spiritual lesson through his meanness. And it's like, no, sorry, he's not. It's because his ego is so big that he's now starting to resent you or her ego is so big that she's starting to resent you um, as students so, because you're just something that is there to serve their purpose. And that's a problem, you know. Or the second thing someone would get out of teaching if they're not getting that is sometimes they will be satisfying their need to work on others because they need to work on themselves, you know. It's like when someone who's very wounded becomes a healer or something. So it becomes a way of kind of avoiding your own issues. And, and that's another reason that you see for teaching. And, and I don't want to sound mean because I've been in both of those situations. I've been both of those people. And in each opportunity, I tried to take myself away and, and change it. Because I, want, I didn't want to be those. I didn't want to be the wounded healer. That's no good, is it? Wounded healer? Who wants one of those? And I didn't want to be the overblown cult leader. So that had to change too. And, you know, yeah, I made those mistakes. And I think more teachers make those mistakes than they realize. This was one trap I, I realized from the overblown ego stage, which was many years ago, that I realized that I started to say my students rather than the students. So sometimes I catch myself falling into that kind of linguistic trap. But I generally try to say students, the students, people students in the school, students of the arts. And if you look back through a lot of my writings and, and things like that, you'll see I try to say that. I'm not always perfect because it, it's a kind of shortcut linguistically, but I try to avoid saying my students because I realized that during the problematic phase of my teaching, that phrase, my students, became quite loaded, almost like there's an ownership over them. Like the more I said, you are my students, these are my students, the ownership went up, you know? Like words have power. And if you keep saying my student, you are my student, you, you end up disempowering the student because on somewhere in their subconscious, they're going, oh shit, you own me. <laughs> and they might not realize it, but they are. They're becoming disempowered, disempowered. So then they start to hang on your every word and that's never healthy. If someone hangs on your every word, that's, that's not healthy at all. That's not good. And then the same happens to you is you start to assume this ownership. So then they're there to serve you. So you start to resent them if they don't act perfectly exactly as you want them to act if they do something that's slightly wrong or or they don't give you the credit they deserve or, or the worst thing you'll see is a teacher will get annoyed when a student decides to quit training you know be like my student is gone like where is my belonging my belonging has gone off to study golf into the tai chi or, or something like that and that that's not healthy you don't own anyone so i became very careful of that phrase i don't want to own someone i don't want the responsibility of owning someone it, even if you look aside from the negative things so i tried to change that so even little linguistic patterns could, could help you know so I wanted to get to a stage where teaching was about two things for me and this is really what I, I've come down to and I haven't really done it perfect I'm covered in sticks look at the state of me I look like some kind of man of the wild when actually I don't have any wilderness survival skills at all so I would die within a couple of days out here definitely <laughs> but yeah so two things I've tried to get as an idea from 
from teaching for me is one, as a kind of custodian of the tradition. This was one idea that I wanted, almost like a curator in a, a museum, you know what I mean? Is that I think these traditions are old. I don't think, I know these traditions are old and I think they're older than people think actually. And of course they've been through evolutions. Tai Chi's modern evolution's quite modern. Qigong's evolution's quite modern at the moment, but they've still, they've got like a, a line that stretches back to a tradition that, that goes back many generations, you know, even if it wasn't in the same form. And for that reason, they're very special. And I think they're partially very special as well because of the amount of blood, sweat and tears people have put into them. In this day and age of shortcuts, quick fixes, you know, ready cooked <laughs> or whatever we have, like these kind of sort of shortcuts for our life. There's very few things, few things in life that are, that have lifetimes of effort piled into them, like whole lifetimes, 50 years, 60 years, not done in three year periods, like whole lifetimes of people dedicating their existence, throwing away everything that gets in the way of the study of this art. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Complete, that is beauty incarnate. The amount of effort someone has put into it. And so therefore this thing that doesn't have a physical form, but this kind of tradition that we've we've encompassed or we've reached or we've been handed down to through the generations deserves the respect and deserves to survive to the next generation in the same form. It can't come down through 100 generations, 20 generations, even 10 generations, whatever it is, in this form of a tradition that people have dedicated their lives to gets to us and we do it in two years, three years, 10 minutes, shortcuts, and then hand it on to the next stage. Because probably will have weakened the art and lost aspects to it that's almost a given but even if we haven't we kind of pissed on it with regards to respect by making it a shortcutted thing to make it as palatable as you possibly can to the masses you've disrespected it from a great height <laughs> so for me i wanted to be a custodian so that didn't mean that everybody had to study in a really obsessive manner definitely not but i think everybody should be able to have access to some aspects of it but when you get those dedicated people that really want to go deep that you don't own there should be enough of a tradition passed on by you if you're capable of it to assist those people to go deep to really help also become the next generation of custodians but of course you can only do that if you train harder than the people you're teaching and if you've put more beauty more love and more respect into that art itself if ever i have a student come to train with me that i don't own that's giving me the blessing of their time to spend time with me and they're giving up their free time to study with me and they study harder and put more respect into that art than me, then that's cool. I'm very happy about that. But at the same time, that's almost a reminder to me that I must also return to being a custodian as well. And sometimes I've had that wake up call and I'm like, right, okay, back to my arts. So I think that that quality of teaching, that's how I see it. Custodian this art means that I have to dedicate my life to it. If, or not everybody has to, but that's my personal choice. So I've spent, all of these years all of these years as much as i can out meeting this person that person researching the lines i've gone deep into a couple of traditions and then then studied other ones on the on the peripheries i mean it is quite funny not that i mind the abuse you get online i think it's part of life these days i think it's just how we communicate insecure people insult people online and maybe that's their therapy but one of the things people say about me that confuses me is that I've never studied deep or that I've never really spent much time in the arts or I've like, or that, you know, they kind of make out that I've done 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there and, and then kind of put it together or, or something. But that's not true. I can categorically state that's not true. I, I've, I know <laughs> that I've spent 
countless hours involved in these traditions, much more exploration, going deeper and deeper into these arts than not everybody, but, but many other teachers out there. There's other teachers out there that have done the same, but I'm certainly not a casual student and I'm, I'm very close to the, the heads and the core and the roots of a couple of traditions that are very um, well preserved and also quite secretive, you know? And that, so one thing I have done, I've studied very, very deeply and I don't always feel I need to prove that to others. So I'm not a story dropper or a name dropper or anything like that particularly, but I'm happy with myself that I've done that. I'm happy that I've done an, enough or doing enough that I can consider myself a custodian of these arts. I'm happy that I have the respect of my teachers um, who have given the blessings for what I do and they have a, a, a you know, a happiness with what I'm doing. And, and ultimately, that's the people I'm worried about. If my teachers started bombarding, like, not people who taught me, but the people I consider my masters ever started bombarding me with hate on Facebook, I'd be upset and I'd listen to them. But, but those are the people I concern myself with. So that's what I try to do is be a custodian of the arts. And then the second thing that I always try to maintain as a teacher, but don't always get perfect, is to remember what I already said, that people are giving up their free time to study with you quite often. So they are there they got maybe the, your students have a shit job, a wife that hates them, fucking mortgage that's expensive, <laughs> two cars they're trying to pay for, kids that don't respect them, whatever, I don't know, do you know what I mean? They've got all the drama of life. And then still on their weekend, they come on your course. Or still on the evening, they come to spend time with you. And of course, they're getting something out of it, they're studying something, but at the same time, that's a lot of respect, you know, because we all know that if you have a difficult life, what you really want to do is just sit on a couch or sit quietly or watch TV or have some escapism but rather than doing that they're dedicating their time to you they come to spend it with you and that's beautiful you know like if I teach a month-long retreat and people come I'm always amazed like thank you they thank you for teaching which is really nice and it's nice to have that appreciation but at the same time like thank you to those guys for giving up a month of their life a twelfth of their year to come and spend time with me that's amazing that's beautiful and i'm not one of these teachers that goes all right now you've got a teacher certificate so you've gained something from this month they don't get anything from training with me on that level <laughs> no financial benefit no teaching benefit nothing like that. all they get is the benefit of whatever they for themselves that they get out of the the practice so that's a lot of trust and a lot of a huge compliment that that you receive as a, as a teacher by people spending their time with you and giving up their free time with you. That's, that's beautiful, that's cool. And then, I hope this is okay, it's just ramblings on teachings really. It's my rambly post-meditation talks, they're always the same, aren't they? No structure, <laughs> waffling on. Some people are probably listening and annoyed thinking what's he on about, but sorry, I apologize. So then the other thing is like, when I see people be disrespectful to people that are in their class, I've seen teachers do this. I've been on the receiving end of it, and sometimes I've done it, and I've had to catch myself. And it's very easy to do it when you're tired, which you're very tired when you're teaching. Of course you are, you know, it's, it's a hard work. And I've had to catch myself sometimes as well, but I definitely see it a lot from other people too. It's that the disrespect you feel towards that student or that person in your class, you have to remember, you're only teaching the internal arts. Well, that's why I remind myself, I'm teaching Qigong, I'm teaching Tai Chi, I'm teaching meditation. That's all. Like, that's all. No matter. Right? I don't know what those people in that room are doing. Like, that person could be a life-saving surgeon who just saved 
four children's lives last week from some kind of awful disease and this could be a fireman who's pulling people out of burning buildings and this guy might be a scientist who's developing a not the vaccine that's a bad example but you know what I mean <laughs> some kind of cure to a disease that's that's helping people I don't know what these people in in the room on the whole are doing for the world this this woman might be a, a carer for a disabled child and this guy might be looking after his sick wife and and all of these sort of selfless beautiful things that they're doing in the world I think all of them are more important than what I do all of those things are more important for the world than what I do than, than my qigong or my meditation or my tai chi and people have argued with me when I've said that and go yeah but you're helping people health but yeah but I'm not I'm not caring for a sick child I'm not saving lives on a sort of direct minute to minute basis so I think that idea should be remembered by teachers like if you're teaching something you can't disrespect people on that level because you don't know what they do. You don't know what they do. And, and even if they're not doing something amazing for the world, you shouldn't disrespect them anyway. So to, please don't misinterpret my words. But I hope you get the message. This is, this is what I'm talking about. So I, I remember that. I, or I try to remember that when I teach as well, that what I'm doing is not that important. You know, These people are giving me the compliment of coming and spending time with me for something that I'm not, I don't really think is on the same scale as some other things that we can do. And that enables you to remain keep perspective keep perspective but the counter to that <laughs> if I were to moan is that the hardest thing we're teaching actually the thing that has brought me close to quitting teaching several times is when people let you down with their behavior because as anyone who's taught a lot knows is that sometimes students will project stuff onto you that's that's very true and that can be unpleasant sometimes so you'll get someone project like they're angry at their art or they're angry at your life, at their life, not my life. I hope they're not angry at my life. If they're angry at their life or they're angry at whatever, it doesn't really matter. That often because you become a kind of one of the central figures in their life as a teacher, whether you mean to or not, you're going to be because you're teaching them something. So a lot of their mental energy is committed towards that thing is they will often badmouth you or betray you or project something onto you that, that really isn't fair. And that can be quite difficult when you um, things get back to you that people have said and, and you actually feel quite bad because you're like, oh, I spend a lot of time trying to help you and trying to share that thing and and then you that's projected on you and you've said those awful things or, or sometimes you've projected something onto me that I really don't think is fair. Or sometimes what you have is you have someone that you've taught and then they start teaching Sometimes for them it's difficult when their students ask about you because they want to be the centre of attention. So then the people will be nice until they start teaching and then, and then they, you'll see them try to kind of... They're struggling with their own ego, you know, just like you are, and they're struggling. So they'll, they'll try to badmouth you to their students so that they seem like the centre of that. They don't want to lose any of that power to you or any of that projected... Um, kind of admiration or whatever they're perceiving it as towards yourself so then they will start to badmouth you and, and that that can be hurtful and I think as a teacher that's something you experience quite a lot and it used to make me very angry and very upset and then I went through a period where I'm like well that's all right we're all just going through our stuff don't worry about it and and that's life and, and you have to treat it almost like a lesson but then sometimes when you've done so much teaching that you're so exhausted it can be very very difficult so this is one of the burdens the teacher faces and then you have other issues like I've had a couple of students or working with me that, that I didn't know, but students who were working with me very close to me and, and then they did something so horrendous that 
it's very difficult. You know, I had one student who was very, very close to me and, and we, I thought we were very, very close friends who, who really went off on a power trip and an ego trip and, and essentially tried to do the same as I did when I was younger to become a kind of cult leader, Buddha, ego figure and there was a lot of dishonesty around what he was doing and stuff like that and and i and i i tried to work with that person to say well look come on man these patterns you're moving into they're a bit like the patterns i've done with you and they're not healthy and ultimately that wouldn't change so had to remove that person from the school and that's difficult you know that that's quite a blow because that's almost like a divorce between you and someone that you've put a lot of time into and that's difficult and then another experience i had was i had a a student who I was very really working with really working with and then he he was sexually inappropriate with a couple of the the girls in the school to a point where they felt very threatened and very unsafe and and I had to remove that person instantly from the school and uh, to keep the students safe you know and instantly like as soon as I find that out that's got to go and as soon as like some teachers wouldn't admit that you know they wouldn't want to know people to know what goes on within a school but if you have a large group together and all those people and you've got insecure especially young male insecure people let's be honest there's often young males that start to suddenly get a little bit of power for the first time in their life it will appeal to them in different ways so for me it appealed to my sort of ego side so i became the cult leader but to one student who i allowed to start teaching it became appealing to the fact that he really wasn't attractive to the opposite sex and never had been. So as soon as he suddenly had that admiration, then that started to blow up in him. So he, he started to become creepy and sexually inappropriate. And as soon as that was drawn to attention, then, then gone, like he has to go. And that's very difficult as well, because it's almost like a disappointment to see someone growing in the arts and developing and then just do that horrible thing. And then as a teacher for me it almost made me feel like well sad and disappointed that that happened in my school and it wasn't anything too bad but like still that's not what I was trying to create like what I was trying to create was a community of people that were friends and had a deep respect for each other and were really beautifully moving towards cultivating these arts and and being museum creators for this thing that is beautiful and ultimately improving their lives and so in my mind it was all sunshine and lollipops and happiness you know what i mean but of course if you've got a lot of people you're dealing with all sorts of complexities and psychological imbalances and ego problems and insecurities and mental illness you know all of these things and and that's what you deal with as a teacher when you're dealing with a large group of people you're you're wading into the the mire of of human complexity which can be disappointing sometimes and unpleasant and and you have to deal with that and, and as a teacher that wasn't something i expected i would have to face which now i'm saying it out loud is so naive it's so naive isn't it like you expect a certain degree of maturity and decency and morality and ethical code but that's not what you get often you do get it from a lot of people you get a lot of beautiful people that live in that way but then of course you get little problem pockets and as a teacher as the head of an organization I have to be very ruthless and as soon as those problems arrive arise my first rule has to be safety for the group mental safety physical safety or whatever it has to be my main priority because everybody has to be safer than that space so you have to cut those things off like a cancerous limb you know and and uh, that's hard you know and I think towards the end of all these years teaching 15 years teaching 
piling my soul into it, you know, like I was teaching constantly, more retreats, contrary what the internet might think, not for money. I did a lot of them cheap. I do a lot of free teaching. I do a lot of course. I just did one for a few students here. Didn't charge anything because it shouldn't be about that. The money keeps the school going, but it's not the aim. But all that teaching is done to try to help people and foster that community and help the art to grow and survive. And you put all that soul into it and then you're faced with that disappointment and that problem. And I think right before COVID, right before COVID, I faced, I faced that problem, you know? Like I got to a stage where I was very disillusioned with it because that wasn't happening. And if I'd, <laughs> this is the joke, right? If I'd have been the kind of teacher that was happy to just blow up my ego, accumulate as much money as I want and become an overblown cult leader, rawr, I am God incarnate because all these people love me. If I was happy to be that teacher, I'd have been fine. I'd have had loads of energy. I'd have thrived on it. I could have taught for years, but I'm not that guy. So when I was faced with the disappointments and the burdens and the pressures, after putting all that sort of energy into what I was doing, it was getting me down, you know, and my energy levels were going down, my health was going down, my immune system was going down, my love for the art was going down. So COVID really enabled me to reset and step away. And it's reminded me that, that that's needed, you know, because my life before this has been training period, study period, training period, uh, teaching period, study period, teaching period, study period. And those study periods, you don't get any downtime either because you've got the stress of the teacher trying to load a new practices and instructions in you. So really this kind of period, this has been my first down period. No instruction particularly, nothing too hard, for, nothing too intense, and no teaching, nothing too intense. And I've loved it. It's enabled me to reset. I feel younger. I feel younger in my body, younger in my energy system. I feel like I managed to let go of a lot of the burdens of teaching. I feel like there's a love and a freshness and a desire. Desire is a dodgy word, isn't it, for teaching that's back but it's still not the right time you know I think there's more wandering for me to do and more um, contemplation for me to do but these are just some of my things around teaching really now it might sound like an odd podcast all right and it might sound like I'm moaning but I, I, I'm not I'm really not I love my life and I feel blessed every day with with what I do. So, but the reason I did this podcast was because um, I was sat with some students in a um, coffee shop the other day. Um, very um, Students that have become like very much close to me, friends as well. Like I don't have that boundary. <laughs> some people try to keep a distance. But if, if I like someone and it turns into a friend or family relationship, that's cool for me. So I was sat chatting with them and I was talking about this with them and, and partially we're talking because they teach as well and maybe they've not taught well some of them have but most of them haven't taught for as long as me um, so they were just talking about the problems and experiences of teaching and they thought it would be a useful thing for me to share with the public so maybe it wouldn't be something that is useful to everybody if you're just learning but if you are teaching they thought it'd be helpful to know that these are universal problems that anybody can encounter within these arts and it's tricky and although teaching is one of the most beautiful things you can do and it's um, a very rewarding practice that can give you a sense of purpose and enable you to meet wonderful people. Um, it can be difficult, it can be challenging, and these are the kind of challenges that you will face. So hopefully by sharing some of these problems that it's not perceived as moaning, because I really don't want it to come across as that because I really love what I do. And this period away has really reignited that. 
I'm not worn down by it, you know. Um, but I wanted to share just so people didn't think they're alone. Sometimes it's useful to know that these issues are here. So the final thing I wanted to talk about was, just to leave it, I don't want to make it too long, is that, uh, do you notice the things I talk about that are problems? The problems I talk about are what it does to you if it's unhealthy, or the other thing I talked about is the problems that can come from the difficulty you're dealing with people. But I didn't talk about the hate you get online. So you will get hate online, but I think everybody gets hate online. <laughs> and the more that you get well known, you will get more hate online. Um, and it is funny, like one thing I've learned is when you, you read things written about you on forums, maybe like the Dow Bums or some Facebook groups, and actually there's a lot of positive things on both these places and sometimes things written under your videos that are positive, but then there's negative things as well. And they tell stories about your training or your life or your views or your reasons for doing something and they're not true. Like they're not, I know they're not true because I know me. So when they say these things, that aren't real. One thing I've learned from it is if they're getting that thing wrong about me, then they're probably getting those things wrong about other teachers as well, I would assume, unless they're only wrong about me and right about everybody else. So one thing I learned is when I read things online that are negative about other teachers, um, is actually take it with a pinch of salt because they're probably not true. Because take it from me, the things, some of the things people are saying just are inaccurate about things you've done or, or your teaching or your training. They're inaccurate. So therefore, that probably means it's inaccurate with other people too. So actually, that can be quite useful, seeing that kind of stuff. But the reason I didn't really focus on that is because none of it matters. Like, none of that matters because those people are not your, in your direct world. They're not in your direct environment. So I would say, when I first started teaching, the internet wasn't really a thing. Not really. It was there, but it wasn't really huge. And then as I started teaching, the internet came about and people fucking hate this guy and I kill this guy and blah, blah, blah. And people are threatened to kill me and threaten to rape my wife and people are mad you know like all these things come through and there was a period where it really bothered me but then after about 18 months of getting used to it my skin got very thick and I didn't it didn't bother me at all like it's okay I don't care it's fine um sometimes it's quite amusing but it doesn't really bother me but uh, so I would say that one thing I will leave you with is as a teacher if you're teaching you also have to get to that stage the insults online are the low-hanging fruit of your problems. So if you are still very caught up in those, you find yourself arguing with people online to defend what you're doing, then, then you're still very much caught on that, that lower branch, that lower hanging branch, and you'll never get to the real problems that you'll face as a teacher. You'll never get to the crux of dealing with the negative aspects to your ego that might be fueled by your teaching, and you'll never really get to deal with the kind of, you know, your focus is in the wrong place. You know, don't worry about all that online stuff. Focus on the school and really build your community and build your art and, and build yourself. That's what you need to do. But you can't get to that if you're still stuck arguing on Facebook. Um, so all of that online stuff, don't worry. I just want to point that out at the end because when I hear people griping about teaching, that's the stuff they often gripe about. And I, th I always think to myself like, like, don't worry about that. Like, that's all right. Why are you focused on that? There are bigger problems, bigger challenges, bigger difficulties with the role you have in life. And that's what you need to uh, focus on basically essentially and it, it sounds daft to even mention it because it almost sounds childish or petty to focus on online stuff but it's a part of life now like the internet confuses me people date online that's normal nothing wrong with it but it's an odd idea to me because of my age I think that's an odd concept and people communicate online with people they never met I 
really like face-to-face interaction so i don't know I'm, i think i'm just a bit old i'm kind of out of that i don't really understand it but it is a part of life and and it's a part that affects anybody that's in a public eye but you need to rise above it very quickly you need to get beyond that because it doesn't matter it's just stuff thank you very much for listening to my post meditation teaching rambles like i said i mainly shared it just so i won't talk about this quite openly just think so other teachers maybe you're having similar problems maybe it was useful to them but if it's been an unhelpful podcast I apologize. What can I say? I'll try and do something more focused next time. This is what I try to do on these show, these podcast shows or episodes, or whatever they are, is I do something focused and instructional, like the last one I think was on a complete Qigong system. And then I try to do something a bit more rambling and random and then something a bit more focused. So if you are someone who struggles with these rambling talks, maybe just watch every other episode and you'll find they tend to be a bit more instructional. <laughs> so thank you very much.